Since 1955, the College Board's Advanced Placement Program has been delivering excellence in education to millions of students worldwide through over 18,000 AP programs. And in each of those AP programs, an important role. Really important. And it's there we find, we find the AP Coordinator. So, what makes a good AP Coordinator? Well, I believe, I believe the best AP Coordinators are dedicated, motivated, and well, coordinated. My name is Derek Kometa, and this is Coordinated. Thanks for joining us for a series of interviews with experienced and incredibly talented AP coordinators. This school year, more than just about any in recent history, presents some unique and unprecedented times for schools and AP programs. Perhaps, perhaps there is no better time to share our collective voices and perspectives. Coming up today on Coordinated. It's important, Derek, for us at the district level, the school level, and the coordinator level. We want to make sure that we can support our AP students and families as much as we possibly can. So we encourage them to enroll in the AP courses, and we know that that AP exam can be very significant for a lot of students. So we want to make sure that we're able to support them as much as we can. Period one. Dedicated. It's nearly election day, and we're visiting the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. The debates are over, the votes are piling in, and at the time of this recording, we don't know the winners, but I know we have a winning conversation today. We are fortunate to be joined by Edrika Hall of Prince George's County, Maryland. Today, Edrika and I will talk about all things AP Coordinator including a deeper look into AP exam fees and students who are eligible for fee reductions. And we'll hear about a true passion, helping to support equity and access for as many AP students and AP families as she can reach. We're not talking politics, but we might talk about balancing school budgets. Get ready for this special campaign speech by one of the very best. Idrika Hall, welcome to Coordinated. Hey Derek, thank you for having me. I am definitely excited to be here with you today. And I just thank you for this opportunity to share on this episode of Coordinated. Well, thanks again for being here. We appreciate it. And let's start with uh, a little background. You, you live in Washington, D.C. and work nearby, of course. Has that area always been home for you? Well, Derek, it's funny you should ask that. I am originally from the insurance capital of the world, and we all know that is Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and so um, I knew that I was going to go to Howard University. When it came time to think about colleges, that was my choice. Although I applied to other schools because my mother made me, I knew I was going to Howard <laughs> University. Even before I got accepted, I knew I was going there. And so I came down to D.C. for college and fell in love with the area. I fell in love with the culture of the area, the people, 
And after I graduated, I made the decision to stay in this area. And then, as they say, the rest is history. So did you know that you always wanted to get into education or did you have a specific inspiration for that? I absolutely did not want to go into education. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) Okay. Absolutely did not. Absolutely did not. Okay. This is going to be a good story. Please go. I hope so. Yes. So when I was in elementary school, I remember one of the teachers um, at the school asking if who was going to follow in my mother's footsteps. And so I don't think I mentioned this, but I am one of eight children. So, you know, we come from a large family. So they wanted to know who was going to follow in mom's footsteps. And I was adamant that I would never be a teacher. (laughs) And that is why I always tell people that I fell into education because this was not my journey. So I get to college and I didn't necessarily have a major, but along the way I had um, the opportunity to take an educational psychology class. And as a part of that class, we had to do a practicum in a school. I was assigned to an elementary school in a second grade class, and it was there that I fell into education. My time in that school really showed me that students need teachers who are passionate, compassionate, teachers who are motivated, teachers who see all of them. And as I was in the classroom and looking and observing the teacher, I realized that she was at the end of her career and she was just tired. She would get irritated with the students. And I walked away feeling like those students deserve more and that all students deserve better. And so um, that is how I fell into education um, during that time. And so I called my parents and I said, hey, I have a major. So I, (laughs) I declared my major as psychology for undergrad. And then I went right on to get my master's in education. Um, Howard at that time had a one-year program where you could get your master's in education. And so I did that. And my first career, my full career in education is in Prince George's County. So I graduated and I needed a job and I went on an interview and I got hired after my first interview. And I'm always excited about that because how often does that happen, right? (laughs) A little bragging, a little bragging on on me. That's definitely something to brag about. That's a good one. One one interview and a whole career. That's very good. One interview and a whole career. And I am still in contact with my first principal. She um, was amazing and she really laid the foundation for where I am today in terms of the work that I do. So that is how I fell into education and that's where my journey began. And so Prince George's County, that's that's right outside of Washington, D.C. and it's a big school district. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? We house about 130,000 students in over 206 schools in our district. Within that, we have about 30 high schools. And within those 30 high schools, 26 of them offer AP. And across those high schools, we have about 35,000 students in those in the high schools. Uh, we are a diverse district. We sit at about 55% African-American and about 36% Hispanic Latino. And then we also have about a 21% um, ELL, English language learner um, population. And we have students, uh, it's over, there are over 40, that 40 different languages that our students speak. And it might be way more than 40. And then we also sit at about 63% when it comes to our um, free and reduced meals population. So for those students and families who qualify for the federal free and reduced meals program, we're at about 63%. So we are a diverse district and our demographic ranges. We are a very big, very large district. So our demographic ranges from one end of the county to the other end of the county. It could be very different. And Adrika, this year, this is uh, this is really anything but a typical school year. 
So I'm curious, what's, what's happening with your students? Are they online? Are they hybrid? Are your students actually on campus? What's going on? Not the typical school year is an understatement, Derek. <laughs> so we are currently fully virtual. Our students are learning from home. Our teachers can come to the building if they want to um, do their virtual lessons from their classroom, but they can also do it from home. So we do have some that come to the building, but our students are fully virtual. And so that's been a big adjustment for um, us as a as a district. I mean, we had to make sure we had training, resources. We had to make sure that all students had devices. We are going to reevaluate in December. So in about another month, they'll look at, you know, where we are, guidance from the CDC and make a decision about the spring semester. But the plan for the spring semester is to, I believe, go to some sort of hybrid model where students will be on like an A day, B day kind of schedule in terms of coming to the building. So that's where we are now. But it's definitely been a different type of school year. Yes. And so how are your AP teachers doing with all of this? So everyone is adjusting. It's been an adjustment for everyone. And our AP teachers, I think the biggest adjustment for them was just trying to really figure out how to offer the same level of rigor um, and instruction for the students in a virtual environment. Um, when you are used to having your students face-to-face and depending on the, depending on the AP class that you teach, um, that face-to-face instruction is really important. So trying to engage them um, in that virtual space and keep it rigorous, I think has been the biggest challenge. So we've done... Um, we've just been trying to make sure that they are aware of the resources that are out there to support them. I created a document at the beginning of the year that kind of outlined each resource in AP Classroom and how it could be used in an asynchronous environment, how could it, how it could be used in a synchronous environment. And so we've just tried to be real intentional with that. And just recently, I sent a um, survey out to all of the AP teachers. We have about 250 AP teachers across the district. So I sent a survey out to all of them and I got about 105 responses. So we're sitting at about 40%. So I was excited about that, you know, just that they responded to the survey in <laughs> okay. this with everything going on and sure. as much as they have sure. going on. Um, and when I got the survey back, I was excited to see that 99% of the respondees said that they are using the resources in AP Classroom. So that at that first data point, I was excited about. And then I went on to look further and discovered that the two most valuable resources that they identify were the AP Daily Videos, which is a new resource this year. So I was excited to see that they were using those and they found those valuable. And then the question bank, which I wasn't really surprised about that because I know the AP teachers like to use those questions to um, gauge student understanding. So those were the two most valuable resources. But I was just excited to find that they are indeed using those resources to support students' instruction. 99% is a pretty good number. I think I think uh, most folks at the College Board would be pretty happy to hear that. So thanks for sharing that. I hope that. so. Yeah, thanks, I hope so. <laughs> thanks for sharing that. All right, everyone. Well, as Edrika just said, uh, the challenges of the current school year, well, there are many. But schools and specifically AP coordinators and certainly Edrika's AP teachers, everyone is finding ways to overcome and conquer just like they always do. And coming up in a moment, we'll hear much more from Edrika. But right now, we have a quick message about another fantastic resource, the AP Coordinator Community. Hello, fellow AP coordinators. I'm Carrie Larison. And I'm Carrie Franz. We moderate the AP Coordinator Community, a free online platform connecting over 6,000 AP coordinators from around the world. On the community, AP coordinators ask questions, share information and resources, and professionally connect. 
We coordinators, well, we control how little or how much we use the community. We can receive updates daily, weekly, or as they happen. Or we can see what's being shared each time we sign in. On the community, the discussion board is the hub of communication. It is here that coordinators post questions, share best practices, and gain valuable information to best support our AP programs. Finally, the community is a spot to share and download successfully used resources by our fellow coordinators. Why reinvent the wheel when these valuable tools are right at our fingertips? So how do we access this community? It's simple. Go to apcommunity.collegeboard.org to get started and request your free membership. Again, that's apcommunity.collegeboard.org. This year more than ever, we think it's important to be part of the AP Coordinator community, and together we'll figure out how to best support AP programs at our schools. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to coordinating with you. Period 2. Motivated. All right, we're back, Adrika. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your district overall. Uh, but now I'm curious, how about some additional information about the AP program in your district? Yeah, sure, um, Derek. So I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but I'll circle back to it. We have about 26 schools in our district that offer AP, um, and they range anywhere from offering three classes to 30 classes. So we have some very small programs in our district, but then we have some very large programs in our district. And the approximate number of students that we have, we've averaged between 5,500 to maybe about 6,000 students each year taking AP courses. And then um, that amounts to about 4,500 to 5,000 exams each year. So that's kind of where our averages have been. We've been higher than that and we've been a little lower than that, but that's kind of been our averages um, each year. We really try to embrace and encourage the access and opportunity for students to take AP. So um, for years now, there's just been a focus on AP in our district. Some years ago, we had an AP 8 program where each school was required to offer at least eight AP courses. And that's really when our AP program began to grow. Um, and so, yes, we do have a pretty large program here in Prince George's County. Idrika, so I think I've been getting a little ahead of myself. We've been talking about your district a lot, not a single specific school. And there's a good reason for that, but I've... I've done a pretty terrible job making that clear to everyone. So can we back up a little bit and talk about you and your actual role? Well, Derek, I was wondering when you were going to get around to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, 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 take it easy on the host. Okay, please, Adrika, the floor is all yours. So in my district, I serve as the supervisor for advanced programs, and my office falls under curriculum and instruction. And within my office, um, we provide support for the advanced placement program, of course, but we also supervise the International Baccalaureate Program and the AVID Program. And then for me, in, um, particularly, I also provide support to schools with the college and career readiness assessments. So we don't just do AP. Um, I do AP, IB, and AVID. And so it definitely keeps me busy in the world of advanced programs in supporting schools because along with the 26 schools that we have to offer AP, we have 12 IB programs and then we have 27 AVID schools. And so that definitely keeps um, us busy in that office. Okay, well, Adrika, I know you have a lot of different responsibilities there, but you know this is coordinated. So specific to AP, what is your AP coordinator background? 
Yes, Derek, I do have a special place for AP in my heart. Um, so I was a former Glad to hear AP. it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. And that's because I was a former AP coordinator. So back in the early 2000s, when I transitioned out of the classroom, I became a technology coordinator at Fairmont Heights High School. And then that eventually led me into becoming the testing coordinator. And that same year that I became the testing coordinator, the AP coordinator retired. And so the principal asked me to add AP into my duties as being the testing coordinator. And so that was my first interaction with College Board, with AP. And um, I kind of developed a love affair <laughs> back then with College Board. And, but it's been great. So yes, so that was the beginning of my journey with AP and with College Board. So Adrika, this explains everything. I, I like it so much. You do have a district position, but at heart, you are an AP coordinator. And yes. with that, right, and with that, it's easy to relate to your team because you've actually done the work. I have done the work, Derek, and it is hard work, but it is very rewarding. And it is especially rewarding when students advocate for themselves to take AP. And I've had that happen to me over the past few years where I've gotten emails and phone calls from students who want to take AP courses and they want to find out how can I get into AP. And so that's one of the most rewarding parts of my job. But it's also rewarding in the work that I do to support my AP coordinators in helping them to build their programs in their schools because they are the boots on the ground when it comes to AP in our district. They are in the schools working every day with the teachers and with the students to ensure that the teachers have what they need, that the students are able to access AP. So that as a district coordinator is rewarding for me to just support them and to see how their programs are growing in the schools and to see the success of the students um, that are in their programs in the schools. Well, that's a great segue, Adrika, because I'd like to talk to you a little bit more uh, about some of those rewards specifically. Do you have a couple more minutes for us? Oh, absolutely. Happy to make the time, definitely. Fantastic. Everyone, please stay tuned for some enriching conversation about AP exam fees and students who are eligible for fee reductions and We'll ask Adrika about what she and the AP coordinators in her district are doing specifically to positively impact equity and access. Hello, AP coordinators. This is David Sheehy, college counselor and AP coordinator at Boise High School. Here's a quick thought about fee reductions as they relate to AP exams. As you probably already know, Fee reduction information does not have to be included in our AP exam order. That's right. We can submit our AP exam order by November 13th, and then later on, we can go in and update AP registration and ordering. The deadline for fee reduction status updates? That's not until April 30th, 2021. So, indicating students who are eligible for fee reductions in AP registration and ordering? Well, that's pretty easy. Getting the list of students who are eligible at our schools, and that could be a bit more challenging. Here are some tips I've gathered from other AP coordinators. Potential sources for this list include someone in admissions or attendance, possibly the registrar or food services. Understandably, schools are often very careful about who has access to this data. Some schools have their own processes or paperwork that help the AP coordinator gain access to this information. If needed, consider speaking to an administrator at your school to figure out the best plan that everyone is comfortable with. And of course, more information about all of this, including which students are actually eligible for fee reductions, 
that's all in the AP Coordinator's Manual, Part 1. Thanks for your time, everyone. Stay safe. Period 3. Coordinated. All right, Adrika, I joked about this earlier, but balancing the budget, it's really no joke. No, definitely not, and I really work hard to make sure I do it correctly. Okay. Well, how about if we start by looking at the the big picture? In the past, how and when a school collected AP exam fees, that was a school-level decision, uh, sometimes a district-level decision, but either way, payment was not due until June after AP exams were over. That is absolutely correct, Derek. And how about this school year? It's the same. Now, this is a common misunderstanding. Payment is not due to the College Board until after May 2021 testing is complete. So, since payment is not due to the College Board until after testing is over, why do we want to spend any time talking about AP exam fees right now? Well, there's a good reason for this. We have heard that some schools do want to collect AP exam fees prior to ordering exams, and that's fine. However, as a reminder, this year, this year, there are no $40 cancellation or unused exam fees. Absolutely correct again, Derek. And I also heard in the coordinator workshops that I hosted that many schools are just ordering AP exams for all students this year. And then they will reconcile and collect exam fees later due to the change that College Board made. And we think this is a great idea, of course, especially with some of the ongoing uncertainty with remote and hybrid and the other new educational models that are being adopted for the first time this school year. It's, it's a challenging time out there in the world of education. It definitely is. Exactly, Derek. All right, Adrika, I need some help with this next part because as I've joked about before on prior episodes, math, math is not one of my stronger skills. Hey, Derek, don't worry about it. I got you covered. Wonderful. I was hoping you would say that. So the base exam fee for a full-priced domestic AP exam is $95 per exam. And that's for a student who is not eligible for any fee reductions or other subsidies. Correct. So can you explain the $9 per exam rebate and how that applies here. What does that, quote, rebate mean? So most often, schools collect the $95 for each full-priced exam. However, College Board only invoices the school $86, which means that the school keeps $9 per exam. This is another common misunderstanding. So it's not really a rebate. College Board does not refund any money, The College Board invoices $86. The $9 per exam is never invoiced. In reality, the school collects it and keeps it. Okay, so let me make sure I got that. Students who are not eligible for fee reductions, schools generally charge $95 per exam, College Board invoices the school $86, meaning the school keeps $9 per exam to help cover costs uh, associated with administering AP exams. You got it. Looks like those math skills are not that bad after all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the compliment. Okay. And 
then we have students who are eligible for fee reductions. Uh, Adrika, I'm just going to let you do this. Can you do the math, please? Absolutely, Derek. Let me help you out. So again, we start with the $95 base exam fee. Schools are expected to forego the $9 per exam rebate that we just talked about. That brings the amount down to $86. Then College Board will provide a $33 per exam reduction for eligible students with financial need. So that's 86 minus 33, resulting in an invoiced amount of $53 per exam. Okay, let me make sure I got that one right. That was a lot of, <laughs> that was a lot of numbers. Students who are eligible for fee reductions. We start with $95. Schools yes. do not keep that $9 rebate. So now it's down to $86. Mm-hmm. Then schools subtract College Board assistance of $33. And the total is 53 So that's exactly. $53 per exam that schools will likely collect from their AP students who are eligible for fee reductions. That's absolutely correct. Assuming that there are no other district or state subsidies. And don't forget that we have fee reduction examples in the AP Coordinators Manual Part 1. I believe you talked about that in your last episode, Derek. (laughs) Thanks for the plug and the reminder, Adrika. Yes, yes, we did. Okay, so now since you mentioned it, state subsidies. Now that's something I can confidently share some information about because there's, there's no math involved. Um, information about state subsidies is updated on AP Central as it becomes available, and that's generally in the fall for most states. And the totals and invoice are automatically updated in AP Registration and Ordering for the AP Coordinator to see. This is much easier than it was in the past for coordinators. In the old days, calculating the invoice was a bit more challenging, especially for me. Mm, no more comments on your math skills there, Derek. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for overlooking my weaknesses, Adrika. That's much appreciated. But hey, uh, seriously, everyone, we'll include the link to the state subsidy page in our show notes as well. Yes, but Derek, there's a little bit more on this. Right. Let's talk about your district specifically. So as I understand it, your district has different levels of financial support for AP students and families. And the first group is what you call, quote, farms. Yes, Derek. So our farm students are those students whose families are eligible for the federal free and reduced meals program. These students can take an unlimited number of AP exams and there is no cost to the family for these exams. No cost? Zero? Did I, did I hear that correctly? Yes, Derek, that is absolutely correct. That was another um, policy that we put in place to support families um, and students in taking AP exams. And so the district pays for all of these exams. If the student registers late, however, they are responsible for that $40 late exam fee, but we will still cover the initial exam fee. Another good reason to get the uh, exam order in on time. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that is, uh, that is really tremendous support. And uh, how about the students who are not eligible for fee reductions? So if a student is a non-free and reduced student, um, the family is, and the family is taking four or more exams in a single year, the family will pay for the first three exams, and then the district will pay for all exams in excess of those first three, no matter how many that is. 
Idrika, you said family there, not student. Correct, Derek. Yes. So if siblings are attending high school at the same time, they both count towards the three exams. It's all combined. It's per family, not per student. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That is really fantastic support. It's important, Derek, for us at the district level, the school level, and the coordinator level. We want to make sure that we can support our AP students and families as much as we possibly can. So we encourage them to enroll in the AP courses, and we know that that AP exam can be very significant for a lot of students. So we want to make sure that we're able to support them as much as we can. That's a a great transition, Adrika, because I wanted to ask a little bit more uh, about the equity and access project going on in your district. Absolutely, Derek. Um, So we have a partnership with Equal Opportunity Schools, and they have a program called Lead Higher. And the, the total goal of that program is to work with districts to close the opportunity gap, the access and opportunity gap for black and brown children when it comes to AP and IB. So although we have both AP and IB in our district, we're working with them with a direct focus on our AP programming. Um, and so the gaps are identified by current enrollment in, in students who show potential for AP. So they look at who's currently enrolled in your AP program, who shows potential and are not enrolled and where those gaps are. They use um, different data sources. They use GPA, they use um, AP data in terms of enrollment, performance. So they have indicators that align with students who are enrolled and how they're performing on different assessments. And then they look at those students who are not enrolled. And so they really take an intentional effort with the school to identify those students. But what we also do is we look at the culture of the building and how the culture of the building either supports or doesn't support every student having access. And so we've had three schools that we've worked with over the past three years with this initiative. And I'm happy to say that I have definitely seen some culture shifts in each one of the buildings as it relates to AP programming in those schools. And each building is different. So our conversations in each building have been different with the um with the equity team. So each school has an equity team that leads the work. And I'm also happy to say that each in each school, the AP coordinator is the lead for that equity team. So they are directly involved in that work. They are leading the work and they are working with their principal and the rest of their colleagues at ensuring that access and opportunity is available for all students when it comes to AP. Wow, that's that's great to hear. I was going to ask you what role do AP coordinators have in all this, but it sounds like they are a, a key part of what's going on. Oh, they absolutely are. Like I said earlier, they are the boots on the ground in the building. So when it comes to AP, anything that we're doing in the school that involves AP, my coordinators are my first go-to when it comes to that. Absolutely. Idrika, first of all, thank you so much for making the time to, to chat today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Derek, absolutely. I'm happy to be here and I just appreciate you inviting me. And I personally thank you and all the AP coordinators in your district for all the amazing work to help support equity and access. The work you are doing, it's, uh, it's inspirational, it's impactful, it's just so powerful. And, and thank you so much. Well, Derek, let me say this again. I have some amazingly committed AP coordinators and I love working with them. We have great conversations around the data and how to best service the students across our district. It's not easy work, but definitely rewarding when you see students who never thought AP was for them experience success. And that's what it's all about for me and my coordinators, that the students are seeing themselves in these classes and experience success. 
And I just want to thank you for the support that you've become to myself in Prince George's County, but also Prince George's County as a whole for our AP program. So thank you. In our opening, I joked about balancing the budget, but financial challenges and equity and access, that's nothing to laugh about. Fortunately, very fortunately, we have outstanding AP coordinators like Adrika and her team who are doing something about it, something very significant. In Prince George's County, in the past three years, the percentage of students eligible for a fee reduction that took AP exams, that number increased by over 7%. It's up to nearly half the total number of students taking AP exams overall. I often use the word impact when it comes to AP coordinators. It's hard to imagine an impact more meaningful than this. This this is amazing work by a team of AP coordinators united in both spirit and effort. And this is the difference great AP coordinators throughout an entire district combined with great AP teachers and school administration. This is the difference we can make. This is what model AP programs look like. This, this is what it means to be coordinated. Coming up next time, it's our final check-in before the November 13th final ordering deadline. By now, we know what to do. We know what needs to be done to submit that exam order. But what specifically does not need to be done? What can AP coordinators take care of after the exam order is submitted? Superstar AP coordinator Susan Orr from North Carolina, she'll tell us all about it. She's ready to share her Southern charm and tell us exactly what not to stress about and why we should go ahead and push the submit button. Please don't miss a lively conversation on our next episode of Coordinated. Thank you for listening to Coordinated. Our executive producer is Bill Lankenau with assistance from Tierra Pinto. Leslie Ladd, AP coordinator at Dulles High School, Sugarland, Texas. She provides additional vocal support. Artwork is thanks to Amy O, straight from the AP Art and Design classroom at Savannah Arts Academy, Savannah, Georgia. Good as Gold is our theme music and it's performed by Jackie Ray, former AP Music Theory student at Oakton High School in Vienna, Virginia. Coordinated is written, recorded, designed, and produced by myself, Derek Kometa. Thanks to Jim Cluley, Terry Redekin, and all my colleagues at the College Board for allowing me to connect with my favorite people in all of education. Do not miss an episode. Please subscribe to Coordinated. And if so inclined, please rate and write a review as well. Your feedback 
is really important to us. Just like an AP exam, we'd love to earn A5. For more information on AP coordinators, visit collegeboard.org slash AP coordinator training. That's one word, collegeboard.org slash AP coordinator training. And AP coordinators, just like the song says, you are good as gold. Good is gold.